0: You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 to start off with. Um, We're talking about the voice of God, hearing the voice of God, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about how He speaks to us. Um, while you're turning there you've probably heard the story of the man who um, had floodwaters approaching his home and he uh, was able to get up to, the, to the, the, the gutter line of his roof and stood there away from the floodwaters and pretty soon this guy came across in a canoe and said hey buddy hop in I'll get you to safety and the guy said no I'm trusting in the Lord the Lord's going to rescue me today. And the waters continued to rise a little bit. So he moved a little bit further up on his roof. And soon a guy came by in a bass boat, big motor behind it, you know. And, and hey, buddy, hop in. I'll, I'll get you to safety. No, I'm trusting the Lord. The Lord's going to rescue me today. The waters continued to rise, put him all the way up at the very uh, top of his roof, and a helicopter came over, lowered a line, and through a big speaker, a guy said, grab hold of the line, we'll, we'll take you to safety, we'll, we'll take you someplace where you're going to be okay. No, thank you, he yelled over the chopper blades, the Lord's going to rescue me today, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. And the waters continued to rise, and eventually swept him off the roof, and he took off in, in the waters and drowned. And when he got to heaven, he said, God... I thought you were going to rescue me. And God said, well, I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. Why did I say that little bit of humor to start us off with today? Because as we're going to talk today about hearing the voice of God, there are sometimes in our lives with this topic and with other topics in our Christian life as well that we can get so zoomed in or focused in on one thing That God's trying to get our attention, he's trying to guide us, direct us, lead us in other ways, and we are so blinded to the one thing that we think is true, or maybe, in all honesty, the one thing that we just want to settle in, that we miss what he's doing in other parts of our lives. And we may say to God, I don't hear you. I don't hear you speak. I don't hear you in this situation. I don't, I don't feel your guidance. I don't feel your presence. And oftentimes it may be because we are so zoomed in like that guy was on the rooftop that we ignore the spiritual canoes and boats and helicopters that God sends us our way to be able to reveal himself and his truth to us. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is how God speaks. And we're going to begin out of Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Uh, The first week of this series, we dealt with believing that he speaks, recognizing his voice and running from competing voices. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, looking from the life of Jesus, making time to hear him speak in our busiest times and in our times when everybody wants a, a piece of our lives in our time when we have to make decisions. And then now today, we're going to talk about how he speaks. Uh, I first preached this passage uh, January of 2021 when we kicked off our series in Hebrews. So I'm not preaching the exact same message from that Sunday because we're going to filter it in with some other scriptures and things today. But uh, so for some of you, hopefully this will be a little bit of a refresher from that Sunday or if you weren't there that Sunday, this will be a, a new piece for you. But Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, read those with me and then we'll get into it today. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. Um, verses 3 and 4 and following through there continue to speak of the majesty, the 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 uh, incredible uh, person of Jesus. And who he is and who he, who he was and how God used him in this creation and so on and so forth. And so that was really kind of the focus back in 2021. We talked about that from the supremacy of Jesus standpoint. Uh, but today we're going to really kind of focus here on verses 1 and 2 and this idea of God speaking. And so going back to verse 1, let's deal with our first point today which is this. God's voice in the past God's voice in the past look again at verse 1 long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets one of the very fundamental pieces of understanding and believing who God is is this piece that we believe he is a communicating God he wants himself to be known He wants creation to know who he is. This was a fundamental understanding and distinction for the people of Israel. The very beginning of the Bible says that God spoke creation into existence. That the power of his voice is such that he was able to to put everything into existence that we know to be in existence. But then following through the rest of the Old Testament, we see all these little individual pieces. Abraham. Heard the voice of God. Moses heard the voice of God through the burning bush. Job heard the voice of God through what was called the whirlwind or the storm or the tempest. Uh, Elijah heard him not in the wind, not in an earthquake, not in the fire, but in a gentle whisper. Joseph received dreams. Daniel received visions. And so while the, the author of Hebrews makes this statement that he spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, the reality is what the Bible teaches us is that God is A, a communicating God, and B, that he not only spoke through the prophets, but he spoke in many, many ways, oftentimes very personal ways, to his people in such a way that they would know it was him and he would be able to get their, their attention. Part of that distinction was important because it contrasted the false gods of the day for the people of Israel. In 1 Kings 18, you have this, uh, this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of the false god Baal, and they, they build these altars, and they put this bull on the altar, and they soak it in water and the wood, and all this kind of stuff. And Elijah basically issues them a challenge. In verse 24, of 1 Kings 18, he says, You call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And of course, in that story, they call day and night, day and night, Um, Elijah trash talks them, uh, and says, maybe your God's sleeping, maybe that's why he's not responding. Actually, in the Hebrew, there's one point where it says, maybe your God is in the bathroom. That's essentially what he says to the prophets of Baal. And he calls on God, and God sets fire to the wood, proving himself to be the true God. Again, this idea of these false gods being this way is something that's woven all the way throughout the Old Testament. Uh, In Psalm 115, the psalmist writes uh, in verses 4 and following, Their idols, meaning the idols of all the nations around Israel, their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats who cannot make a sound." In Isaiah 41, Isaiah, uh, the Lord is speaking there and he's speaking to the people of Israel about what has happened to them and then what is going to happen to them in terms of the help that is coming from. And part of the reason that judgment had come upon them is because they had taken in a lot of these false idols from the nations and the people around them. And this is what God says in Isaiah 41, I'm sorry, 41, uh, beginning in verse 21. Present the case for your idols. In other words, he says to Israel, talk to your idols about what's, what's happened and what's going to happen. Let them show what they can do, says the king of Israel. Let them try to tell you what happened long ago so that you may consider the evidence. Or let them tell you what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. And then he actually turns his attention speaking directly to the false idols. God says, yes, tell us what will occur in the days of head, th- ahead. Then we'll know that you're God. In fact, do anything, good or bad, do something that will amaze and frighten us. And the whole point of this being in in Psalm 115, Isaiah 41, and other places in the Old Testament, that this clear distinction was made for the people of Israel, that our God is the living God, our God is the active God, our God is the one who speaks, who communicates, who wants himself to be known, and all these false gods are powerless, they can't speak, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't walk, they can't run, they can't do anything. Paul even carries that over into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12 too, he writes to them, you know, when you were still pagans, meaning people who were not uh, yet following God, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. And so a very basic tenet, understanding of god is this understanding that he speaks he communicates he wants his people to know him to hear him and he wants them to be able to recognize him but then you have this passage this piece of history sometimes it's called the intertestamental period because it goes between the old and the new testament sometimes it's called the the years of silence but it's about 400 years from the ending of the book of malachi until jesus is born And most people speak of this time and say these were years of silence when God did not speak. And there is some truth to that. In those years of silence, no new prophets on the scene, no direct revelation or communication from God to individuals. But one thing that was very important that happened in that time was God may have been silent in those ways, but the written word of God began to increase. They moved from temple worship because for a time period of that, of that segment of time, there was no temple to worship in. Uh, even when it was rebuilt in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, then there was limited access. So local synagogue worship began to spring up. This is why when Jesus came, he went to the local synagogues. It's why in the book of Acts, when the apostles began to take the, the gospel message out, they go to the local synagogues. No longer was Israel flocking to the temple as they once were. But now they're beginning to locally gather together for worship and teaching. So for that purpose, the written word of God had to increase. So that the teachers, the leaders in those local places had the written word of God to be able to teach and proclaim. So there was an increase of what was called the scribe of Israel. Which were people who copied those those manuscripts, those uh, scrolls down to one to another. And then one of the biggest things that happened in that 400 years... Uh, As Israel began to come under more what was called uh, Greco-Roman rule where Greek was the primary language, not Hebrew, there was this book called the Septuagint and it was the Greek translation of the Old Testament writings because what happened was as each generation continued to be born under this new culture, less and less of them knew the original language. And so this translation occurs that reveals the Old Testament Scriptures in this understanding of Greek. So I say all that to say this. Even when God was, quote, silent, he was not. Even when he was not speaking directly or not speaking through prophets, he was not silent. Even in the absence of the very audible voice of God, the Scriptures became a centralized method of God speaking so this is the way God spoke in the past, through the prophets, through individual revelation, speaking to people, revealing himself to people, and then through the beginning and the accumulation of the written word of God. So the author of Hebrews pivots then. He says in verse 2, now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. He goes on again, the end of verse 2 and the reg- verses 3 and 4 to talk about the supremacy of Christ and why he's worthy for us to think of him this way. But I just want to focus on that phrase. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The prophets communicated the word of God that was given to them. Jesus communicated the very word of God as God. This is why in the Gospels when we see this phrase sometimes where people were amazed at Jesus' teaching and it might say something like this, because he taught as one who had authority. That phrase doesn't just simply mean that he taught as a Pharisee taught or he taught as a, a ruler or a learner of the law taught. He taught as if he had written the words himself, which as God he had. He was, he was revealing to them the very person of God because Jesus was God himself. He said the prophets spoke to the ancestors in verse 1, but now, verse 2, Jesus has spoken to us. And the prophets were faithful, but they were flawed. But Jesus was the faithful, flawless God-man. And most importantly, the prophets are now dead. But Jesus is alive, resurrected, sitting at the hand of the Father, active, ready to go. And so again, John's gospel helps us in understanding Hebrews 1 verse 2 here that Jesus is this full revelation of God. We've looked at John's gospel a lot this this last three weeks and I I hope you're beginning to, to see that as a theme because John's gospel is key to a lot of this. But when John is describing Jesus in John 1 18, he says this, No one has ever seen God. But the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. In John 10, 28 through 30, towards the end of the Good Shepherd teaching, uh, Jesus talks about that he, came, he comes to give eternal life. And uh, some of you may remember this phrase, even if you didn't remember the reference. But he talks about the fact that no one will be able to snatch them out of his hand. And in that phrasing, he ends in verse 30 by this statement, The Father and I are one. That Jesus is the full revelation. He's the full revealing of God. God's speaking through him. Jesus has not only revealed the Father, but he's also revealed the Father's plan. In Ephesians 3, Paul is writing, and he's writing about this mysterious plan of the gospel that Jew and Gentile alike would come together to form one race, one person under Jesus Christ, that that all the blessings of the Jews would be poured out upon the Gentiles, that they would share equally in the riches of the inheritance of God. And he says this in verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians 3. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus. Well, all these verses are just coming to to undergird Hebrews 1, verse 2, which is that now, he says, God has spoken to us through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, the Son, the gospel message has been spoken. Through Christ Jesus, the Son, all of the prophets and the law and everything of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. Through Christ Jesus, the Son, everything that happens post-Jesus resurrection is interpreted through Jesus, And he says the very plan that God had was carried out through Christ. That the church would become the vessel to display the magnificent grace and glory of God even to the heavenlies. And so it just begs the question, if the church, which is, uh, which is here, kind of a very universal church, and meaning all those who are in Christ, but of course, obviously, we can drill it down to local gatherings, right? If the church is meant to be this vessel, if the church is meant to display this goodness and greatness of God, doesn't it stand to reason that we need to hear His voice? Does it stand to reason that we need to believe that he speaks, that we make time, carve out time for him to speak, and then we study how he speaks, that we may familiarize ourselves with it? Verse verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 2, that God has spoken to us through his son impacts how we should read the word of God. That God has spoken to us now through his son means that we now need to begin to read, uh, should be reading scripture through the lens of the son. Jesus does this. When Jesus teaches the Old Testament in the Gospels, he says things like this. You've read the commandment that you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, even a man who's looked at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with that woman. In other words, Jesus takes the Old Testament scriptures and says, here's what they say, but I'm telling you as the God-man, here's the intent of it. And so he's telling the people of his day, you're reading the Old Testament scriptures, but you need to start reading them now through my perspective, my lens, as the Son of God who has revealed God to you. Some other places where we see this kind of happening. In Luke 24, you have these disciples who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they don't know yet who he is. He's not yet let them know that he's the risen Savior. But they give him this long, sad story about how we thought this guy was the Messiah, and then they died, then, then they crucified him, and he died, and he was buried, and now we don't know what to do. And in, in verses 25 through 27 of Luke 24, he basically says, didn't you read the Scriptures? They clearly said that the Messiah would have to suffer. And then Luke goes on to record, beginning verse 28, that he then takes them aside and he, beginning with Moses' writings, explains to them all the scriptures and how they point to him. Even Jesus' words himself in John chapter 5 to the Jews who were after him in those moments. He said, you, of verses 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. See, the fact that God has spoken through his Son means we now look at all the Scripture and realize all Scripture either points to or reflects Jesus Christ. I've heard sentimental things about the Bible said, and it's okay. I'm not trying to bash it, but, you know, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Well, I get that, right? But let's not trivialize what this is. Every, everything in this scripture is is a declaration of God's love for humanity, absolutely. Everything in the scripture is a, a declaration of God's redemptive plan of his love for mankind and his desire to see them saved and walk with him. But understand, it all points to Jesus. It all is read through the lens of Jesus because it is through Jesus, he says in Hebrews 1-2, that God has now spoken to us it takes some training it takes some discipline it takes it it takes us to be people who are interested uh more in really getting into god's word than we are having a three-minute devotional sent to our email and saying we've studied the bible that morning now listen i I, you may need that three-minute devotional that morning i get that if that helps you get your day started good deal but that doesn't work to suffice a foundation of us being able to understand what God is saying through the Word, and that's all we're giving Him. I would dare say most of you who are married in here, well, I'm hoping most of you who are married in here, um, w- would not suffice to hear from your spouse three minutes a day. And if any of you say that'd be heaven to you, we probably should set up some counseling. <clears throat> We, we take the word of God and we take it looking at this lens that now through Jesus, God has spoken to us. It doesn't mean that God does not speak any longer, but it means that his speech, his communication, his revelation of himself comes through Jesus, through the written word. Let me, let me give you just a couple of examples. Let's take like the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges is a hard book, Right? But the Old Testament book of Judges, to simplify it down, the theme of the book of Judges is this, that God's people are in rebellion, that God sends earthly judges to let them know of their rebellion, to let them know of the changes that need to make, and then to stand in judgment over them. In Revelation 20, Jesus becomes the final judge judging all rebellion on the great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20. So we read what goes on in Judges through the lens of understanding that one day Jesus sits as the final judge. Book of Amos, a prophet, for example, he, he is sent to God's people to um, correct them and rebuke them, among other things, for their injustice among people, uh, not only people of other nations, but their own people, the way uh, that the, the greedy, the way that the rich, the way that those who had much were holding on to it and not distributing to the others. So Jesus turns around, then in Matthew 25, and takes the nations and divides them into two groups. You're, you know that passage? And he says, this group over here, you never fed the hungry. You never gave the thirsty a drink of water. You never clothed them. You never took care of those. You never visited them in the, in the prison. But this group over here did. And he says, this group is the one who now is going to enter the, the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a direct correlation back to Amos. Jesus is not teaching work salvation. He's not saying, if you do these things, you get in apart from me. But he's saying, if you are in me, you should be doing these things. Just as Amos said to Israel, if you're really God's people, you should be doing these things. In the second New Testament book, for example, the book of James, the overall theme of the book of James is that salvation should lead to a life that is fruitful that we should have good works, that we should read the word and know what the word says and apply the word to ourselves and so on and so forth. Jesus teaches in John 14 and 15 that those who love him would keep his commandments and produce a life of good fruit. Every piece of scripture either points to and reveals Jesus as God's fully spoken declaration of who he is or it reflects what it means to follow Jesus. And again, this this takes some training, this takes some discipline, this takes some desire on our parts to want to get more out of the Scriptures. But it is so worth it. Because when we do this, what we then begin to hear on an even greater level than we've ever heard before is the voice of God. And specifically the voice of God that has been spoken through His Son, Jesus the third point for today doesn't come out of Hebrews, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple other options here just to listen to, and that is this God's voice in the present. If God spoke in the past through the prophets and all these other various ways, if God has now spoken through Jesus, meaning there's no new revelation, there's no new word from God that's coming, but it's all revealed through Jesus, then how does he speak to us today? And I want to give you a couple of things. Number one, Jesus pointed to the coming of the Holy Spirit as the means by which God would speak. John 16, verses 12 through 15. There's so much more I want to tell you, Jesus says, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future, the things to come. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And then catch this. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. There's this picture of the Trinity that is developed in the Scriptures that the Father has sent the Son and revealed himself in the Son, that the Son has now fulfilled the Father's work and fulfilled the prophets and the law and everything that was written up to that point. And then the, the Son now goes through the Spirit and tells the Spirit even what to say, how to guide us into truth, even as we read Scripture. If you've still got that Hebrews passage uh, open, look maybe a page or two to your right to Hebrews 3.7. Let me give you a picture of, of what this means from Jesus' words. He, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 is a, a quoting of a section of Psalm 95. But look, how, look at how verse 7 begins. That is why the Holy Spirit says... I looked it up in different translations. I think every translation either says says or some of your, the older English translations say saith, but they all mean the same thing. The writer of Hebrews, getting ready to quote Psalm 95, which was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, says, this is why the Holy Spirit says. Not, this is why the Holy Spirit said What the writer of Hebrews is pointing to is what Jesus pointed to in John 16, that the Spirit would guide us into the truth, even with written Scripture that was hundreds of years old. Even with this written Scripture that's recorded that's thousands of years years old to us now. That the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us, and it speaks to us through the power of this Scripture. God speaks in that. He speaks in varied ways, even according to the same Scripture. Uh, Psalm 19 tells that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. Day after day, they continue to speak. Paul picks that up in Romans 1, verses 20 and 21, where he says that even creation reveals to people who don't yet know God the eternal power and divine attributes of God. Again, the written word of God speaks to us. To Timothy, Paul wrote, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong. It is worthy of noting here that when Paul writes that to Timothy, the scripture that he's referencing would have been the Old Testament scriptures. These, as you and I have, it had not yet been compiled, but we can take Timothy's same words and apply it to that which was compiled hundreds of years later into the Bible as we know it and say that the Scripture is useful, it is inspired by God. And the Spirit of God speaks today. We've already seen where Jesus stated this will be true. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you. Writer of Hebrews 3.7, the spirit has the spirit says and then quotes the scripture from long ago in Revelation two and three there's these letters to these seven churches and and the, and you know historically people have debated over whether they were actual churches or whether they were historical churches or, or churches meant to represent timepieces uh, from different parts of our of our creation. But bottom line of it is this every single one of those letters in Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus is speaking have this statement that Jesus himself says anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches God has a desire to speak he has a desire to speak through his very creation. He has a desire to speak through his written word. He has a desire to speak through his Holy Spirit. The question for us is, are we listening? And again, much, much like that, that man on the rooftop in that joke I told earlier, we can get so sort of pegged in to saying, well, this is the way God speaks, or we can make this statement sometimes. I know how difficult a topic this is. I understand. Some of you all are looking, like, a cat, looking uh, like you're a calf at a new gate, you know, kind of I get it I understand it and some of that's because some of us in our in our religious upbringing our church upbringing our our family upbringing we're told this is the only way God speaks so don't divert from any other way of it but yet the Bible itself says that he speaks in varied ways he's truthful through his word through the power and the presence of his spirit and so the question becomes it begs of us are we listening or are we like that man on the roof they're so focused in on this one way that we're missing all these conversations that God has in store for us everywhere else. I remember for a while I worked at a, a at a box packaging uh, or box making company in Lawrenceburg uh, that they produced cardboard boxes and then shipped them out to companies to use. And there was a guy there um, that did not know the Lord, and we would have conversations. I was getting ready to go into seminary at the time, and he knew that, and we'd have conversations about the Bible and God and so forth. And he made a statement to me one day, I think that was kind of half in jest, but had some seriousness to it as well. He said, all I know is, he said, God spoke to Moses in a burning bush, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, if you'll do that for me, I'll believe in him. And I said, well, you understand there's only been one of those recorded in all of history that we know, Right. I know, but if he did it for Moses, he can do it for me. And I said, well, what if he wants to do it for you in a different way? I need to see the burning bush. And I've often thought about that man and those conversations that we had over the last couple of decades. Like, I wonder if he ever got out of that pigeonhole. I wonder if he ever got to a point where he thought, oh, maybe this is God revealing himself to me. Maybe this is where God is speaking to me. And I get it. I know how difficult this can be. Uh, It's so difficult, in fact, I think that many Christians sort of arrive at this destination or this decision in their lives. They make this statement, I just won't worry about hearing the voice of God. Because it's difficult, because it requires a little work, a little diligence on my part, because it may require me thinking through some things that I've been taught and realizing that maybe those things weren't true, I, I just won't think about it. I, I tell you, I have as a pastor counseled spouses and, and uh, mothers and fathers and children who've, you know, who've lost spouses, who've lost their fathers, their grandparents, their parents, some who've lost their children. And overwhelmingly, one of the things that generally always comes out of those counseling sessions is this statement or a variation of it. Oh, if I could just hear their voice one more time. I, I'm going on, it'll be, it's over three years now since I've last heard my mom's voice. Almost 19 years since I last heard my dad's. And I get that, man. I, there are times, particularly in times of distress and trouble, I'd say, well, if I could just hear something from them, if I could hear that, that word of wisdom from them or, or just that word of, of encouragement or consolation from them. And, and I ask you, man, if we long to hear a human voice that much, How much more should we long to hear the voice of the shepherd? How much more should we long to hear the the Savior, the the Father God, who who has instituted all of this for our benefit? There are, of course, cares and concerns with this, and I understand it, and I want to give you a few. We always have to test whatever we think is God's voice against this revealed and written word. I've shared with you before, some of you will remember, but I remember early in ministry, the guy who got into the vehicle that I was in, who was getting ready to leave his wife and his four kids for the woman that was uh, was his secretary, and he said to me, the Spirit has told me that she is my soulmate. He might have been listening to a Spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. So when the voice of God, when we, when we feel like we're receiving that or hearing something, we, we always test it back to the truth of God's word. Uh, using the God told me phrase for personal advantage, right? Well, God told me that really wasn't my time to serve in the church right now. Or if somebody even does this for you. Well, God told me to tell you. Well, my response to that is always this. Well, if God wants me to know, God will tell me. Now, I will say that God has used people to confirm things to me but that's because, that's been things that he's already revealed to me that I just was too dumb to pay attention to but God told me to tell you this well if you're if you're a child of God God's going to tell you that himself because again he is a communicating God we can get so caught up in the experience of hearing of wanting to hear the voice of God that we neglect what has already been revealed and specifically we can begin to neglect the Bible We can be so caught up in wanting to hear the voice of God audibly or from another person or through circumstances that we fail to give the Bible the the adequate study and and resourcefulness that it is in our lives. But we can also do the same with that. We can be so caught up in that this is the only way God speaks that we close ourselves off to every other way that he might be wanting to speak in our lives. Even with these cares and concerns and even with these things that we need to discipline ourselves and work through in our life, I promise you, developing a life that seeks to hear the voice of God is worth it. I don't, you know, many times I've said to my kids, and I'm probably not alone in this, um, whether it was in a time of instruction or whether it was in a time of correction or, you know, diff- different ways, but I've said something along these lines, you're listening, but you're not hearing, well, they're listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth, but they're not hearing them. They're not receiving them. They're not acting upon them. And so many times, I think God probably has that to say to us. You're listening to me, but you're not hearing me. You're reading the word, but you're not hearing me. You're listening to me through praise and worship, but you're not hearing me. You're listening to me in prayer, but you're not hearing me. And on and on and on. And I will say this as we begin to close. There may be one final reason why we don't want to do this in our lives. And it probably is the biggest reason of all. We're concerned we may not like what he says. Because the voice of God, be it through his word, be it through his spirit, be it through circumstances, be it through other people that he he orchestrates in our lives to confirm what he's already said to us, oftentimes the voice of God says, you need to get out of that sin. You need to repent. You need to forgive. You need to make amends. You need to let go of this life. You need to let go of this world. And on and on and on. And quite honestly, sometimes we just don't want to hear that we'd be better off not imagining he speaks at all than hearing what he says and actually dealing with it. We should strive to be people who are always hearing the voice of God on a daily basis. Dallas Willard has a book simply titled Hearing God, and he says this, People who understand and warmly desire to hear God's voice will want to hear it when life is uneventful Just as much as when they're facing trouble or big decisions. In other words, he says, when we want to hear God's voice on the daily, then on the days that there is trouble, on the days that there is distress, on the days that there are big decisions to be made, on the days we do need that comforting, on the days that we do need that strength, we will be much more in tune to his voice and much more in tune to being able to hear it. There, there are folks that when you preach about stuff like this and talk about stuff like this, say, well, you're, you're elevating experience over the Bible, and I'm, I'm not doing that at all. Uh, you've probably heard or seen for yourself what's been going on at Asbury College over the last almost two weeks and is now going on at a handful of other colleges um, around our nation. I've, I've, gotten, I've fielded a lot of, of questions as a pastor. Hey, you think this is real? Well, my first response to anything like that is always this, we'll see. Because just as if somebody decides to walk down this aisle today and say that they're going to follow Christ, I'll receive them with open arms, and I'll love them, and I'll pray for them, and I'll let you know their decision, but we'll see if it takes. Right? And there will be, if if what's going on at Asbury is real, there will be fruit from it. But understand this don't just so casually dismiss the experience of God that we fail to see where he's really working. Like this this revealed word of God teaches me that his peace is with me. But it sure means a whole lot more when I sense his peace with me. This revealed word of God teaches me that he loves me and he forgives me, but it it sure means a whole lot more when in prayer I, I experience that love and that forgiveness from the power and the presence of his spirit. It teaches me that he guides me and he guides me in my decision making, but it sure feels a whole lot more powerful when I experience it in that still small voice of the spirit that says, go this way. Let's not be so dismissive of the experience of God's presence that we fail to hear him talk. He is a communicative God. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know his plans and his ideas for your life. And he wants you to know of his greatness that you may then be able to take it and not only live it out, but display it among all who are around you. Let's believe that he speaks. He speaks. Let's tune out competing voices. Let's carve out time in our busiest and most troublesome days, in our decision-making days, and let's listen to his voice today. Let's not dismiss it. Let's not overlook it. Let's not cast it off as something that doesn't fit our little theological box. And Let's let the Lord do work in our lives today and every day forward. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankford at gmail.com.